Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I'm assuming that we are here because we want to see the kingdom of heaven established, and we, would, we want to see the church grow. How many are on that? That's why you're here. Okay, we're not really here to fight or argue most of the time, but there are some times that we, as the body of Christ, we have disagreements that probably never happens down here. But uh, there are churches that do struggle uh, because uh, we are made up of people. And, you know, that the relationships are the only thing really that may live a few years on the earth. You understand that relationships are the only thing that really matters. Uh, when we die, when we leave this earth, we can't take any monetary things with us. Our houses are going to stay here, regrettably, for some of us, I'm sure. Uh, but the only thing that we can do effectively on earth is truly to affect relationships. And so when we consider the importance of people, it's good that we would allow God to speak to us. Wouldn't you say that is true? And so uh, Jesus was the word made flesh. In the book of John chapter 1 it says, And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. A significant revelation is because the word still needs flesh in order to manifest. Right? I mean, the word of God exists, but if it's going to manifest, it's got to connect to flesh. The Lord changed all of it when he came and he chose to be born through Mary's womb. And we understand Matthew chapter 1 uh, indicates that the reason that Jesus came was he was going to save us from our sins. And he's not going to leave us in our sin. He's going to save us from our sin. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. You don't have to put it up. But the Matthew 1.21 says, call his name Jesus. Are you familiar with that verse? Call his name Jesus. Why? He's going to save us from our sin. Not the consequence of sin. So he's not just saving us from hell. But he is saving us from our sin. Because sin is a destroyer and a devourer. And as uh, one gospel group sang a song, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly and wholly taking control. And so God, in all of his manifold wisdom, he decided that he was going to save us from our sin. And everything begins to change when Jesus is born. He uh, comes and he's born as a baby. And of course, we understand over 300 prophecies are fulfilled just with his birth. Just astronomical, uh, statistical improbability that one person could be born and fulfill one or two prophecies. But he fulfilled over 300 prophecies with his birth. Now, why would God make a birth so special? Because the Lord deals best with new life. 
So we understand he's going to change the world. We're going to move from a religious society and a religious culture in what were known as the children of Israel or the people of God. We're going to move from that religious structure and we're going to move into a relationship structure. Very cool, isn't it? We can know him personally. Uh, We can have an impact and an experience. And the most important thing to remember now, keep keep on that, the first idea about how relationships matter because when we look at the change that took place with the birth of Jesus, it was religious people who got very angry at him when he began to change things. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, it's a pivotal place for us to study because it is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, who is God in flesh, he is there in Matthew five, reworking everything and establishing the new patterns that are going to come for those that want to find him. And so he was, he was rejected by the religious people. Uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees, the lawyers, they all had a problem with the word now that it was made flesh. They had a real problem with a relational God. They didn't have so much trouble with a religious God or this God that came and spoke through the idea of laws and covenants because they could manipulate those things for their own benefit. That's always what's going to happen if we decide to determine who it is that will teach us. Is that okay? It's really quick. Test, test. We're doing okay? Because when he's talking about a special word, you know what? We need more today than any other time is unity. As the body of Christ, the world is going crazy. And the world is so disunified. What a beautiful opportunity for the bride of Christ to show ourselves as one body of believers and reaching the lost. That was the intention of Jesus. So he comes and he's, he's teaching us in Matthew chapter 7 is really, you know, I've got, does anybody here have more than one absolute favorite scripture? I mean, I'll get a new scripture every morning at about four in the morning. I get up and I'll start studying. And as I go through the book, I'm like, Lord, that's my favorite scripture. And then I, in my notes, I've got like 2,700 favorite scriptures. But I keep adding to them because for the moment, because life changes, those are my favorite scriptures. But Matthew chapter 7 starts out with this simple concept. Judge not. Judge not. And then he says it like this, because if you decide to judge, you will be judged in exactly the same way that you have judged. Interesting coming from a law-based savior. Interesting words coming from the physical representation of a God who manifests his delivering power through something called the law. Do not judge. Because if you decide to judge, you're going to be judged in that same manner. Now that's the start of seven. 
But by the time you get down to the end of chapter 7 of Matthew, you begin to understand what he was talking about because he says that if you will hear my word and do my word, right? Is anybody familiar with that? I'm sorry it's not on the wall. I'm just kind of flowing in the Holy Ghost for a minute here. Then we'll get up to the regular verses. You told me be done by 11, so... So... <laughs> just keep coming. Okay, so he ends the chapter and he says these words. He says that if you will hear my word and do my word, I will liken you to a wise person. Now the reason that's significant is because this is the word manifest in flesh. This is, the, this is God's effort to give us a best of experience as human beings. And the creator, the one who understands the hair on your head, and has them numbered, he said, if you hear it and you do it, I will liken you to a wise person because you built your house on the rock. And then he says this, if when the winds and the storms and the waves beat against your house, it will not fall because it's founded upon a rock. But then he says this, Brother Kylie, if, if you hear my word and you don't do it, I will liken you to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Because when the winds and the waves and the storms come and they beat against your house, it will not only fall, but great will be the fall of it. So we understand that the concept that the word made flesh spoke into the hearing of people that want a relationship with it. I know it's a hymn. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are it's wrapped up in a noun. Only God could do that. So the it of God, the word of God said, you have to hear it and you have to do it in order for your house to stand. Because everybody has winds and storms and waves. Everybody's house gets beat against everybody's house is either going to stand or it is going to fall based upon this one simple premise, do the word of God. So we've got an agreement, right? Everybody, anybody have a disagreement? We could talk about it. Or are we okay? Did we lay in some best evidence right there to go on to the next subject matter? So then the next specimen that we'll use is Ephesians chapter four. And if you want to go there, of course, we know how God constructed the word. We understand that the Gospels were an introduction to Jesus. And it talked about him. The Gospels talk about him. The Gospels tell us how he reacted and how he interacted with people. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we know how the, the book of Acts works because the book of Acts is literally the Acts of the Apostles. It is, we would like to call it, New Testament church history where you will find how to be saved. And they give you the formula. And if you're making notes, you can find it in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Acts 2 was for the children of Israel. Right? Day of Pentecost. Acts 10 was for all of us, the Gentile church. 
in Acts 19 was for the disciples of John, who was called the greatest. Matter of fact, he was John the baptizer. And so you see in Acts chapter 19 that there was a messenger that came to them that gave them the opportunity to enter what is called salvation, where they could be saved. Remember Paul came into Ephesus and he said, uh, uh, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And then he said, and, well, unto what then were you baptized? Well, we were baptized by John's baptism. You can almost hear the buttons popping. We're baptized by John the Baptist. I mean, what could get any better than that? Than going to the river church or any of these other assemblies. We had, the, we had John baptize us, and Paul said, well, there came one after him. See, there was a word manifest after John the baptizer. And he explains it to them, and then the Bible says that he laid his hands on them, they spake with tongues, and then he baptized them in the name of the Lord. So we understand that that's what the book of Acts is all about. And then you get into what are called the epistles. And this is where people turn it off, or what I say, they get epistled off. Can we say that in church? You're not taping it, are you? Whatever you do, don't let Brother Booker hear it. <clears throat> but you see, what, what, what happens with the epistles now is that the apostle, most of it was written by Paul, right? We're talking about his letters. Most of those were in prison, and he wrote those letters, and he wrote those to churches. I sat down with a Baptist guy who was trying to pilfer one of our converts, and I'm, I'm, listen, I'm happy to talk to everybody about the word. And he kept just avoiding me. If you were me, my wife was this 14-year-old kid. They wanted to meet. They just kept talking to him like I wasn't even there. And what they said was the book of Romans, the book of Romans, the book of Romans, the book of Romans. And we're just sitting there. And I'm like, you do realize the book of Romans was written to a church not a city. They're like, well, where do you get that? I said, well, let's look at chapter one. <sighs> the church, the church at Rome, meaning they already had the new birth. So what happens with Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, remember the church at Ephesus, those are letters to churches. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Those are letters to churches because God works through churches. And how does he do it? Well, if we go into the book of Revelation and just the first one, two, and three chapters, the scripture says that he wrote and spoke to the angel at the church of. Now, why would he move through an angel? Well, I've never had an angel preach to me, but you know what, Brother Kylie? I had a pastor preach to me. And if you look at the idea of the word angel, it talks about a divine representative sent with a message. Everybody, are you okay? Okay, because see, we're talking about relationships and we're talking about transforming a community. We're talking about winning the lost. 
And so when we, when we begin to understand how God works through relationships, well, of course, when he spoke to the angel of those churches, he was speaking to the divine messengers who were appointed by God. Now, how many want their pastor to be perfect? Come on. How many, my wife does, that's right. <laughs> Did any of you just lie to me? Because we have pretty high expectations of human beings, but one of the things that we don't recognize many times is that the men of God throughout the scripture had failures. And, and some of them were moral failures. I mean, oh my Lord, oh, a moral failure. Let's go ahead and judge, judge, judge. Oh wait, I can't do that, can I? Well, I mean, isn't that what's in the scripture? I mean, you start realizing that most men of God, all of those men, let's use the apostle Peter, remember? The apostle Peter, Jesus came, it's the last supper, he's gonna wash the guy's feet. And Peter said, well, no, I don't want you to do that. I'm not gonna let you die. I don't want you to wash my feet. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you can't enter into my kingdom. Then he said, well, then just wash every part of me. Talk about a super submissive guy. No, he's stubborn. And Jesus looks at him and he tells him this. He says, Peter, you can't come with me yet. It wasn't that he didn't want him to come, but what he was recognizing is that Peter had not experienced what all good men of God must experience, which is a failure. So he said to him, Peter, you know how you're going to get ready? You're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And then you'll be ready. And then you watch the story and all of this stuff revolves around the crucifixion, right? And so you watch the story and Peter comes in and no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Blank, blank, blank. I told you I don't know him. The rooster crows. Peter weeps. Jesus looks. What a moment. Human relationships built on fallible people. So what happens with Peter? Well, I've, when you read the book, you start reading, you know, they have a few days, Jesus comes and he shows himself, and now everything's all right. Do you know how much courage it took for Peter to show up to the upper room? And yet he did. Why? Because he had a relationship with the flesh of God. All right, so when we start looking at this idea of these angels and God speaking to churches, he, this is the church at Okanamawak. You know what I'm referencing? Go ahead and check out an address in Okanamawak with Siri. Google doesn't get it. <laughs> Yes, the Sunnyside restaurant in Okinawawak. <laughs> That's right, sounds like Japan. Must have sushi. Actually, it did tonight. My wife Susie was there, had sushi. Are you okay? It's Friday. Do we need a break already? Uh, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, I'm trying to talk about unity and I'm explaining how this word works. And then so you get into you know, the book of Acts. We're beyond it now. And, and so we're moving into this book of Ephesians, excuse me. 
And the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 says these words, Wherefore he, when he ascended up on high, verse 8, oh, there it is, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. Now that, he has, now, now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Literally talking about the entombment of Jesus. And while he was in the tomb that says he descended into the lower parts, and we understand, I think it is the book of Hebrews where it says that he went down into hell and he preached to the spirits. And then this says that he also ascended up on high. It wasn't that he just woke up the moment the stone rolled away. He was very active in the tomb. And sometimes we don't deal with the work of the tomb because we have a hard time expressing ourselves about the importance of baptism. But nonetheless, we deal with the idea that now he has ascended on high. Now watch. And he gave some. Do you see that? Who gave it? Jesus gave it. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists. Then you'll notice he also gave pastors and teachers. Now, there is no comma between pastors and teachers, so you have a fourfold ministry or a fivefold ministry. Now, what is significant about this idea is look at that next verse. Why did he give us our pastor? For the perfecting of the saints. You see, we're hesitant to say we want the pastor to be perfect because we don't want to be perfect. Did you know Jesus said be perfect? Did you know that? We sometimes allow denominations to affect doctrine. Because the the doctrine of the scripture is that we should allow ourselves to arrive at what God calls as perfect. And the means by which he's going to get there in our lives is by using fallible flesh to preach to us a word that when we hear it, faith builds. But when we do it, salvation comes. Do you see the connection? You got to see the connection. That it is that faith comes by hearing. Well, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now watch, Solomon in Proverbs 3, he said, honor the Lord with your substance. Literally, we have to honor God by our faith in fallible people preaching a perfect word, preparing us to do the perfect ministry of love. Now that's, that could be a bitter pill. We got one hand clap, kind of. You did it quietly because you don't want to be, of course, the rest of us, we won't judge you too harshly. Brother Cordell, did you bring that wagon of stones? I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's out there. But, but you see, what, what, why do we complicate the work of God? 
And why are we hesitant to embrace? How many of you would like to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Huh? I mean, we want the mystery. I, I want to, and, and God moves those ways. Prophetic, word of wisdom. I mean, all that kind of stuff. But all of it pales in comparison to perfection. All of it pales in comparison to me deciding to do the word. Because if we do the word, I will be stable. You know one of the reasons we fight with people is because we're unstable. Because we're double-minded. We're double-minded because we want it God's way. And we'll say, hey, thank you, Brother Cordell, for that great message today. It really changed my life. And by the time we get to the restaurant, we're like, can you believe he preached that stuff? Who believes that? And who does he? He's just a man like us, said Cora. With 250 notable people. 250 reputations that said those are significant people. And they decided to come against the flesh of Moses. Now, look, Moses, he wasn't all that. I mean, he only wrote the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah. Every major religion deals with what Moses wrote. Huh? Huh? Muhammad is a figure of religious history, but Moses is what is called the man. Did you know Moses had a big failure? The big failure, if you study it, God called out to Moses at the burning bush. And he loved Moses because Moses turned to look at the burning bush. And he said, take your shoes off. For this ground is holy. Moses did it. He did the word of God. And then there's this diatribe that God goes on with Moses. And he starts to speak to him about his plans. And he gives Moses this purpose. And he lays it out. And he literally says these words. I'm going to send you down to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him this. That if you don't let my son who is Israel go. So that they could serve me. I'm going to kill your firstborn. Literally that was Moses' assignment. But by the time he gets before Pharaoh, what he says is God said, let my people go so that they could worship me. Listen, he didn't want to preach to Pharaoh. He didn't want to talk about God's going to kill your kids. You know what he wanted? A song service. Study it. It was a grievous error. Now, God overlooked it. Why? Because Moses could talk to God face to face. You see, I'm talking about relationships, and I'm trying to say to us tonight that, you know what? There is nothing that can withstand the power of a unified people. Those of us, do you know the name of Jesus is so powerful and authoritative that Demons flee from just the mention of the name, and yet we can come into this place having had that name called over us in baptism. And we can tell God, I'm not interested in who you gave me. I'm going to go shopping for somebody I want to have pastor me. 
Where do you find that in the Word? I was looking out at some trees in our backyard. We've got about nine acres of some trees that are back there. I was looking at those trees and I thought, you know, I can't remember the last time that a tree decided to get up and move across to my neighbor's yard. I mean, I, anybody, you know, I never saw a tree get up and move away from the lumberjacks. You never hear about that. Even those big old redwoods. I mean, you go out there, those things are beautiful. They are massive. You know, some of those are, you know, 30, 40 feet. But they're just these massive trees. And yet I have never seen even the big boys say, you know what, I'm out of here. I don't like Newsom. I'm going to go over to you know, Washington State and see those big old trees pull up their roots. and We just don't see it. And we fail to recognize that we are compared to trees. Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits at the seat of the scornful, right? Right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted. Planted. You see, this scripture says that I have a pastor and a teacher, and I have the apostles and the prophets and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints so that I will do the work of the ministry. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons that we don't do the work of the ministry is because we refuse perfection. One of the reasons that we're not teaching Bible studies is because we're not really convinced it's real. Because I'm not sure I like the man he gave. I'm not sure I like the message that I hear. I mean, there's a lot of subject matter we could preach from in there. I mean, they just pick, you just pick the wrong subject every week, Pastor. I just can't hardly stand it anymore. I mean, I just can't stand the word of God. I must go somewhere else where it sounds different. I don't know. If you hear the word of God preached, I'm not so sure it gets any gooder anywhere else. Maybe the problem is it's not designed to sound real good. Maybe it's designed... To make us real good. So that we can do some ministry and we can do some things. Listen, I've, I've studied church hoppers. Tumbleweeds, I call them. I've studied them. You know what happens? They just keep rolling. They just keep rolling. They, found so, they find something to judge infallible people. I mean, can you imagine if God said, you know what, Moses? You're done, baby. It's over. I told you to tell him that I was going to kill his firstborn if he didn't release my son, which is Israel. You didn't do it. I'm sorry. You're all done. You're washed up. You're toast. Aaron, come here, buddy. You're in. But God allowed for the fallibility of man because the Bible says he had ought against these Egyptians. He was going to get them. He wanted, do you ever read the verses where it talks about, I will get my vengeance? This is, the, this is the mild, meek Jesus, right? The one that sloppy grace saves us all regardless of how we sin. So when we start to recognize the seriousness of the bride of Christ and the body of Christ, we've got to understand that we are called to submission. 
All of the best subjects tonight, man, all one in a row. We're going to get it all. Nobody's coming tomorrow. I hope we're going to have a good breakfast. <laughs> it will be pretty quiet tomorrow. But you see what I'm trying to talk about? Listen, nobody wants to have bad church. We just want to be bad people. I usually sing the song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? But I'm going to spare you that. You see, if I didn't want to be such a bad person, I would rejoice over really good church. And if I didn't want to be bad, I would rejoice if the preacher reproved me. And if I didn't want to be so independent and bad, I wouldn't mind a good old rebuke coming over the pulpit. I, listen, as a matter of fact, I would recognize the greatness of the man that God gave if he would bring some exhortation for me to live an overcoming and a godly life. Rebuke, reproof, and exhort. Did you know the word of God is profitable? How many of you have found it to be profitable? But it's only profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Wait a minute, where's the word profit in that? Weren't you just talking about money? Like people that like to pay their tithe because they know they give God the $1,000, he gives them the 10000 right? That's the deal we come in here, right? You see, if we didn't want to be so bad, we would allow God to make us really good and then we could do the work of the kingdom. Now listen, I'm, I'm just here because I'm your friend. And these are the last days. And, and the, the harvest, oh, the harvest. We can't keep track of everybody up in uh, Stevens Point, and now we got another one in Marshfield, and it's just starting to blow up. We just can't hardly keep track of it. And we watched it, I watched the other night, there was a, a young lady came in, and she had a, a, a baby doll, like a fake doll. And she came in, and, and, and one of the ladies said, uh, welcome, we're so glad you're here. Come on and sit down. Let me push your baby's stroller. She said, oh, thank you. <laughs> Sat down with her baby in the stroller. Now listen, it gets even more interesting. She wanted us to pray for her wife. What are you doing in that situation? Tonight I'm preaching out of Romans chapter one. No. You start to recognize that love can make a terrible impact on these people. Love can make a change. But love is manifest when we love one another. Remember, listen, Jesus said, I'm changing everything. I'm going to give you a new commandment. First of all, who is he to give commandments? He's just the second person in a triune Godhead. Doesn't make sense, does it? Thank you the Lord for apostolic preachers. But he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment, and what is it? Love one another. As I have loved you, so should you love one another in another place. You want to talk about being a disciplined Christian. How about this one? By this will all men know you're my disciple. That you have love one toward another. Now, if I was mean-spirited, I'd say, how many people notice your love? But I'm not going to say that. I kind of did. 
You see, if we would just manifest light, if we would just manifest a lifestyle, we couldn't, you wouldn't be able to house them here. We wouldn't be able to stop the flow of hungry people. And when we went, my wife went today to an appointment with the girl with the little baby doll. And she was there helping her. As a light, we're not going to, look, God's going to sort it out. And her wife was there, yeah, I know. I'm hesitant to use the term because I'm so judgy, judge, judgy. Now listen, I know what Romans 1 says. This is a deep problem. This is a heinous, dark sin. Don't get me wrong. We're not dropping any of the boundaries, but what we are trying to do is increase the power of love. And we're going to let God sort them out because what's happening in people's lives today is they are lacking something. You know what they're lacking? The church. They're lacking the church. Think about it. If you were God, how would you change the world? I'd build a church. Come to that conclusion. I talked to him about it. He's like, Ron, I'm already doing it. I was like, ah, I always come up with ideas late. I would build a church. And what would I do in that church? I would set people in that church that would hear my eternal word and make adjustments in their life so that when other people come into my church, they would see the people loving one another and they would want that too. That's why he gave us apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints so that we could do the work of the ministry. I submit to you this idea. Could it be that while we're seeking the mysterious gifts of the Spirit, when the man of God stands before us, maybe we could recognize that's a gift of the Spirit too? Well, how do you, I, you know, I like the gifts of the Spirit that are mysterious. That way nobody can hold me accountable for any of it. Thus saith the Lord, you should do this, 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 and this. That's a lot easier than thus saith the Lord, repent of your sin. Thus saith the Lord, you should do thus, 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 thus. <laughs> That's a lot better than thus saith the Lord, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. The, gifts, the mysterious gifts of the Spirit are all about feeling, but the power of love is all about thinking. We don't feel love. As a matter of fact, do you know that before we decided that we were going to feel romantic, before we got married, divorce was minimal. But now we get off into feeling like, oh, I just feel like you're the person that I should marry. Wow, that's good. And when your feelings change, I guess I was wrong. Here comes divorce. That's something God hates. Amazing how we do that. I'm going to go on. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we have spiritual gifts, that they're loose in the body, but none of those are going to compare to the idea that we hear the word of God preached through fallible flesh and we respond to the word of God with our substance and now we honor God. 
Did you know marriages fail because there's no honor from the husband to the wife? Literally, listen, listen, you know, I mean, when you look at the biblical paradigm, the Bible says that the husband should give honor to his wife. Why? Because God built honor into men. He built a lot of other good stuff into women. But she's supposed to reverence her wife or her husband. We've got to understand something that that honor goes from the husband has honor. Why? Because we are a type of the marriage supper of the lamb. We, he gives us honor by pulling us out of our sin. We've got to learn to reference him and to give him all of the respect that he gives to us. Now listen. If I can learn to honor, I can be effective as a Christian. We need to honor the Lord. How? By letting him pick and choose the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those trees in my yard, I'm the husband. You know, I I have to practice husbandry. Some of them could complain because I'm not real good at it. I drive my lawnmower around and cut little things down, but man, you go to those trees, I look at them, it's like, it's too much work. We have an overgrown forest in our backyard. I mean, if you're a rebel tree, if you were like born in the 60s back there, you're probably happy with it. I don't cut anything, it all just gets to grow, and they're like, dude, this is such a great existence, but what if you're a righteous tree back there? I'm not doing any trimming, I'm not doing any work, but yet they cannot leave the field where they were planted. And do you know that the trees honor God? Is everybody okay? We do know right here. You're like, why did we come here tonight? Well, watch this. We want to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let me ask you this question. When is leaving a church edifying the body? When does that happen? When, 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 does, it tra- when does it transfer into honor? The fact that I would speak against the man of God. In what universe does backbiting and gossip equate revival and renewal? Well, you don't understand, Brother Walters, I have a disagreement. Well, go and handle the disagreement. Don't enter into a judgmental, sinful lifestyle because you're going to support the church with less fruit than you had before. I'm not talking about money. Listen, money is the least of God's problems. And a lot of pastors at that point are like, shh, But really, money is our problem. And so God gives us the opportunity, tithe and offering, and all of these righteous kind of things. Why? Because he wants us to be developing so that we are able to do the work of the ministry. How and why? Till we all come, look at it, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Hmm. I'll tell you what does not take place when people leave an assembly is submission. Look, I don't know anything that's going on, but I feel like I might be close. I don't know the last time that, that we could figure out, 
let me ask it this way. How much sin do you have to commit before you're righteous? It's a fair question. Scripture says zero. So then, to him that knows to do good and to him that doeth it not, it is sin. Let me ask you this question. Now, this, you guys all said we want to we blow the church up. I mean, not in the, but in the, we want there to not be enough room or not enough room in here, not because we blew the wall off the building and now look, we've got open air ministry. We want it because the pews are filled. The seats are all occupied. You can have that. You can have that. But it's going to be in perfecting. And it's going to be in submission. And it's going to be in honor. That's the way he wants it. Last time I looked, it's not my church. This is the church Jesus is building. And this is a miracle place. This is a place of miracles. This thing started. You are fortunate you have the founder here and then you have the handoff guy, the guy that now is taking it to the next level. You're very fortunate. We can sit here, Brother Kylie, and look at you and we can see Brother Coral. We can view what God is doing and the possibilities of this transition time. But we should look with love and affection and understanding and complete submission. Why? Because this is who God gave. And this is who God used. And we have just this beautiful window of opportunity, but we've got to decide to let him perfect me. I'm not talking about just Brother Coral or when Brother Kylie preaches or other great leaders in the church here. I'm talking about let's have an ear to hear what the Spirit... We need a measure and a stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth will not be any more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Look at how this speaks. By the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I have had a lot of people when I was growing up in my church in Eau Claire, never wanted to leave. I loved my pastor, Carl Trapani, still do. But I have people, hey, come here a minute. Yeah, I mean, they usually didn't talk to me. I mean, I was a new convert, fervent in spirit, doing outreach, bringing people, praying them through the Holy Ghost. I mean, nobody wants to talk to that guy. Give it some time, son. You'll be just like the rest of us. Well, it hasn't worn off. It's getting worse and worse. But the scripture tells us this, that they come along and they have cunning craftiness. Do you see that? Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Listen. When you start talking about being deceived, am I really so presumptuous that I can choose the man of God that's going to get me to heaven? Am I so much bigger than God that I can pick and choose who I'm going to let speak into my life? Listen, you guys can go on the internet and find guys that'll preach all kinds of stuff. Some of them are good. But just remember, it's called a web. 
But you can come into the house of God and you can hear the chosen and selected people that God has raised up. Most of us don't really understand. They canonize the scriptures based on the opinions of men. The Old Testament, Ezra was one of those. I trust the Bible. I trust the canonized scripture. It works real well. How many were at the business meeting when you selected a new pastor? It was just a vote of men. I'm feeling a little preachy here, so we're probably going to get with it. Maybe we should do a song service so everybody can. You see, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm just trying to bring a balance. Because there are those of us that think we're smarter than the word of God. As if I can choose. Listen, you follow the tumbleweeds. You follow them. What will happen is they will become positional apostolics. They will have a form of God, but they'll deny the power. What is the power of God? It's the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the conversion of souls. If I'm not involved in the conversion of souls, I need to be converted. Listen, everybody in here can bring people to the house of God but we've got to decide that that's what we want to do. So they lie in wait to deceive. These guys would call me over and say, hey, did you notice what the pastor was preaching tonight? I'd say, yeah. They'd say, wasn't it dry? I mean, did you feel anything? And I remember, I was looking at these people and they had, they, fit, they were like talking about how boring church was. And I am not kidding you. I would bring those yellow legal pads. I filled those babies up with notes during the same boring service. And I kept wondering, am I nuts? All of these people are so unhappy and dissatisfied and I'm sitting out here being fed and my friends are coming to church. We got the baptistry full. We've got people getting the whole, man, I'm in high cotton. What is, what's wrong with me? My Christianity was working under a dry pastor. I couldn't believe it. And then I recognized what the difference was. I loved him. And I honored him. And when I was doing good in business, I delivered my tithe check right to him. Here you go, pastor. Is that going to help you? And he'd say, oh, Brother Walters, you shouldn't do that. I'm going to have to give it in to the treasury. What he didn't know, Brother Cordell, was those treasurers would come. I'd write a $100 check for tithes. They would come and they would say, is it okay? It's not gossip if it happened, right? Truth is its own defense. They would come to me and they'd say, are you sure all of this is tithe? Well, look at the bottom memo. It says tithe. Yeah, I calculated everything pretty good. A couple of times I went back and calculated. Then I recognized what was going on. I was at a business meeting. The tithe belonged to the pastor. Are you sure all this is tithe? So you know what I did? I went to them and I got my checkbook out. I said, here, let me give you a check. This is not tithe, but I'm paying it as a tithe because I love the man of God. You know what the difference was? They were bored. They were just yawning in church. They couldn't wait to get home. I'm writing notepads. Everything that he said impacted my life. Listen, it's not that he was any different in my life, but... God operated differently 
in my life. God really used the fallible Moses to bring deliverance to Ron Walters. And I've been through some fire, man, and I don't even smell like smoke because I love what God does through his word. And if we really trust him, and if we really love him, what's going to be the difference between this guy or somebody 20 miles away? Nothing. Because it is God who reaches with his word. Listen, Brother Corley, you're not preaching your word. Brother Kylie, I've heard you preach. We love your preaching up in Stevens Point. We're having you come up pretty quick. We don't have room, but we're just close to it. We're just one signature away. We're just waiting for the negotiations to stop. But you see, I've, we just love the preaching comes across this pulpit. Why is that? When others would find fault. I'll leave that in your court. I'm almost done. We'll be out of here by 10. We're way ahead. Watch verse 15 me. That we would speak the truth in love. And that we would grow up into him in all things. Which is the head. Even Christ. I like how he included that. In Ephesians 4. You know what it means? It means the spiritual gift of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors, teachers. Those spiritual gifts, he represents them because they're trying to grow us up into Christ who is the head. So I learned early that the head of my life was Christ. But the workings of the miracle of faith came to me through my pastor and those that he would appoint. And it worked out well. Second Timothy chapter 4. This is just one of those interesting revelations. Revelation 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. See, what I'm preaching tonight is sound doctrine. Thank you. I got one right. I'll try that again. Hey, what I'm preaching tonight is sound doctrine. I've got two or three witnesses out of the scripture and we understand how this whole thing works. But it says, they will not endure. Now, what I do with this verse, it helps me. They will not endure the sound of doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, now look at that. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? Isn't it interesting that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but people who are in rebellion only want to go to a teacher. They've eliminated it all. And let me tell you something. A teacher that will say welcome to our assembly without knowing your family or your issues is really not a pastor. It's just right here. Anybody disagree with the doctrine? I ask that a lot of times. I did one thing for a church. I came in and I said, now before I get started, I'm going to, a cassette tape, I'm going to put it in this recorder because I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't think I had to do that here. But you see, one of our problems is that we get right down and we become so professional. We become so etiquette driven. I mean, I'm, I'm like a businessman now. I've got like image. I've got people. You know, they look to me in the community. I mean, I've got a big house, fancy car. 
you know, got a Ralph Lauren sport coat. See it? This is Ralph Lauren, baby. These are Alan Edmonds, you want to see? I mean, for real, they are. <laughs> oh, wait, that wasn't classy. I should let you wonder about it. But you see, we get all dressed up, we get all fancy, then all of a sudden, well, I'm not sure about that apostolic thing. I'm not sure about prophets. I mean, really, I mean. Evangelists, aren't they just enthusiastic people that come in? I don't have to go to church tonight. We just have an evangelist here. After all, Mine cost me less. I got them at a thrift store, both of these. <laughs> That's right. I got them at a thrift store. The shoes were a buck, and I think this was $4.99, but I am fashionable. But you, but you see, we become so professional, I don't even need the apostles anymore. That's probably why I pick and choose the church I go to. That's probably why I want to go to the brand name church, the one with the big fancy whatever. I sure don't want to deal with holiness or separation from the culture. I'm tired of going to the family reunion and being the oddball. Huh? See how we are? We are so interested in being bad that we're not really too charmed by being good I remember one guy listen you got to take the thunder away from Satan one guy came up and said what you're just such a goody two shoes I said son if only you knew how bad it is I am a one God apostolic tongue talking holy roller believer in the resurrection power of Jesus name man I say I lift my hands and show you want me to do it right now most of the time they're like, no. I mean, we're invited to a really important client who has come to our church many times with his family. We walk in, his 18-year-old son says, oh, the crazy, Pente- or the, the, yeah, the crazy Pentecostals are here. Now, you know where he got that. I looked at him and I said, ah, oh, good to see you too. And then I went and I sat by him. And, and as I, I slid over by him, you know, and I could see his dad going, I said, I said, I want to clarify something. I said, you said that we are, what was it, crazy Pentecostals? He's like, I said, no, we're wild-eyed apostolics. There is a difference. Pentecostals are bark at the moon, but we, we separate from the culture. They didn't have anything to say. It's like the one guy, and I think I maybe mentioned this before, one guy was just getting so tired. How come you go to church so often? How come you go to this guy I worked with? How come you go to church so often? And I finally said, why do you go to the world so often? He said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I go to Bible study on Wednesday. What do you do, bowling? You know. Oh, I can't can't go to church. I got to go to the pool league. Listen, I'm all for those things. I have a pool table. See how cool I am? 
how groovy we are. We got it happening. But because I prioritize God, listen, apostolic, you're the greatest thing the world has ever seen. You are a morally free agent that has all, listen, Philippians chapter two, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it, uh, right, who thought it not robbery to be considered equal with God. Now, if I'm Reverend Tilden and I want to pilfer money from people, I say, I am God. But if I want to be Jesus when I'm at Quick Trip and I'm talking to somebody about a purchase I just made, Jesus isn't going to manifest there any more powerful than me. And if I want to be a Christian, I speak his word. What church do you go to? There you go. Why is there hope? I mean, there's people that stare at us all the time when we walk into stores. I've just learned to say, oh yeah, you know, we got it going on. We love Jesus. And we don't ever get a bad reaction. But that's because we've got to understand that we are special to God. We're so special, he gave us a pastor. We're so powerful that we are able to withstand the voices that want to deceive me out of an inheritance that I can only get when I submit and honor the man of God. You see, by me honoring my pastor, I was honoring God. And when I honored God, his word was powerful. I'd be sitting in the congregation, I'm not kidding you, I'd be sitting on a Wednesday night with tears, just thinking, man, if one day I could teach like that. I'm like, and everybody... And I was just out there enjoying what God intended for me to get out of what is called his church. Are you okay? I hope that you're okay. Because I know that I am preaching to the choir. We all agree with this. And I'm going to finish with this concept that's found in 1 Peter chapter 1. You see, we could go anywhere and read the word. I've read the word on airplanes. I've read the word in my car, even when I'm driving. It's just long stretches. Boring. So I'll put it on Audible and I'll listen and every once in a while I'll glance at it. And you know what? I can glean from this word a lot of things. I can glean history, Bible history. I can glean Proverbs. I can glean some wisdom. I can glean... Uh, you know, the geography of the word. Does anybody like to study the maps of Paul's missionary trips? I mean, we, this Bible is so wonderful and so challenging. But you know what I can't get on my own? The prophecy of the scripture. Because the scripture tells me, in First Peter it says, and this voice which came from heaven was heard, when we, answer, when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto we do, you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. Which means that I might be able to see God out on the boat I might even be able to get some images of God when I'm standing on my back nine acres looking at trees. 
I might be able to, and this has happened. I don't know if it's ever happened to anybody else. Has the sunrise ever made you cry? The majesty of that. Oh, right now with the mist, the dew of Hermon coming up, and if you get up and you get the sun coming over a hill, and the whole valley lights up gold, that stops me in my tracks. And I start recognizing streets of gold. It's just going to be a reflection of Christ on the water of our lives. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And we're going to get to enjoy it. But watch this. I can get all of these things out of the Bible on my own. But I can't get the prophecy that's of no private interpretation. Where does that come? It's spoken to us in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and I think it's chapter 1, let me check. Yeah, 1, and 18 through 31. I'm not going to read them all. But what it starts to say is that uh, the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness. Which are saved is the power of God. And he goes on to talk about how God uses the simple things to confound the wisdom of the world. And hidden down in there somewhere is this concept, for he has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save us. You see, when I come to church, the preacher's going to get up, and he doesn't know my secret sins or my private troubles. How many have ever come here and the sermon was right to you. You know what that is? I want you, to, you know what that is? That's prophecy. That is the God of heaven utilizing what he calls the assembly to give me something that I cannot get in nature. I can't get it by working overtime. I can't get it by watching the preachers on television. I have to come into this place. And when they release prophecy, we all know when it is the word of God coming to change us. That's why I am not presumptuous to think that I can pick the preacher. All I can do is hear the word and submit to the principles. Why? Because I want my house to stand. Amen. So where are we going to go with this thing? What are we going to do? Look, I'm preaching to the good ones. I've got the, these, you're the good guys. You're the people that came out on a beautiful Friday night. It was 83 degrees later in the afternoon today. What are you people doing here? I mean, there's fires to light and, you know, sodas to drink and family to be around. And yet here we are. Why? Because we're hungry for prophecy. Because we, that's really what's driving us. What's driving us is the thought that we're gaining the momentum that God would give us. Listen, and I'm done. Do we have a musician that could play something? Perhaps some, something a little, you know, sort of emotional. Perhaps, perhaps not quite a funeral dirge, but something to make us feel bad about stuff. So that we can leave feeling something. But you'll admit with me, the reason you're here is because you like good preaching. You know why? Because that's the cross. That's the power of God unto salvation. That comes through fallible people 
who God uses to bring about a perfection. Look, Brother Cordell, if you were preaching tonight, I can't worry about your perfection. I'd be judging. But I can worry about mine. And then I'm free. I can't worry about your life or what's going on. All I can do is be concerned with how I look to him. And I thank God for preachers. I thank God for teachers. But listen, Paul told Timothy, it's the ones that want to get rid of the apostle and the prophet, the evangelist and the pastor. All they want to do is hear something that sounds good to them. I'm so glad that I can hear from a man of God things that are good for me, not entertaining of me. Remember how Jesus put it? He said, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote of me. The New Testament writes about him. I kind of started with that tonight. The New Testament writers were right up there, some of them, and they saw him and they recorded all of the great things that he did. It's all about him. But the law and Moses as infallible as he is, Jesus said, I'm not going to destroy it. I'm not going to put it away. I'm just going to fulfill it, which means he's going to fully preach it. Why? Because Moses wrote of him. The difference between about him, it's about how God interacts and what he does, but of him, it's his nature. It's his essence. I feel the Holy Ghost. It's his power. Do you know that David said that the law of God is perfect, converting the soul. It's no wonder people want to get rid of it because we don't want conversion. And the last point, Acts chapter 2, says repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. But did you know the word repent is in Acts 3 too? Acts chapter 3 also. You know what it says? Repent and be converted. Means a lot of people come in and they repent so their sins are gone because they just don't want to go to hell. We repent so that we can be converted. Why? So we can take people a lot of apostolics they just want their sins gone come on we can clap our hands to the Lord amen the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul that's why the scripture says the ministry is given for what the perfecting the perfecting through the power of the revealed law which is the lover of my soul named Jesus. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? And then it changes. Now we've got the perfect law of liberty. Now we have the perfect law of Christ. Now we're bound by a whole different set. Why? Because he took adultery from the physical act and it was sin. Now if you look at a woman, see, he didn't abolish it. He made it more constraining. Why? So that we could be that light. Are you the light of God? Did you know he's no longer the light of the world? 
But he said to those people on the mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. And he put it this way, no man lights a candle just to put it under a bushel. But we light it and we put it on a candlestick. Why? So that it will light. And, And when you read it, it'll light everybody that's in the house. Not everybody that's in the town. We are the light of the world so that when we come together as the assembly, we're here for one another. We're building each other up. And if we build one another up here, we'll be able to display Christ out there. Is that what you want? I want that. I want it more than ever. I want to be a child of God. I want to manifest light, but it starts right here with my brother. Love you. I appreciate you. Sis, you can do this thing. We got this down, sir. Come on, we can make this thing happen, bro. You got a testimony the Lord wants to use. I'm talking to real people that have heard a real gospel, and God is changing us. And He's thank you. That was a knuckle sandwich right there. I'm glad He didn't hit me hard. You see, we're here for each other. We're here for each other. I'm not going anywhere. I want to stay here. I want to be in the field where he planted me, where he is growing me, and where he's perfecting me. Would you stand? Thank you for your patience tonight. I so appreciate it. Brother Cora, do you want to close this? You want me to do it? Okay, what are we singing? I will give you love. Sweetie, you want to come up and do a solo? No? Okay. You just, ruled, you just ruined the spirit. No, I didn't. The spirit of God is instant. He'll move among us tonight. Would you like just a touch of God tonight before you leave? Will you give him everything? Will you give him everything? Can we support what God is doing? Can we support who he has chosen? Can we build the ministry right here at this church? This place is going to explode once we unify. Because that's his Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.